0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
1: We're used to a conversation about load management. We're used to in the current NBA conversations about injuries. So a player missing a game isn't the end of the world until it is. And it might finally be time for Lakers fans to start panicking. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app SiriusXM channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests will join us tonight. On the Goodyear Hotline and Sarah, we start with some Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. This show is not one that comes out with fiery hot takes. We're not one that comes out uh, with a bunch of hyperbole, and we try not to get too up emotional, too high or too low. Like We're very level-headed and everything, but I'm not sure that you can be level-headed right now if you're a Lakers fan as the news has come out that LeBron is going to miss another game. Now you could look at it and say one more day of rest missing a game against the Knicks. Maybe it's not a big deal. Instead, he's going to target Wednesday against the Rockets as his return, according to Wojnowski and Dave McMinniman. Like you can look at it and say, maybe it's not a big deal. But when you're talking about the difficulty LeBron has had coming back, I think we're finally at that spot where the back's up against the wall and it is time to be very concerned. Yeah. We talked
2: about this today on Around the Horn and I agreed with Ramona Shelburne that it was sort of now or never. Uh, I didn't have a chance to say that because Tony muted me for giving too many accurate stats. And he got frustrated with all the information I was providing. But that's a story for another time, Fitz. The focus here is that I agreed and I didn't get a chance to say it on TV, but that's how I feel. This is a problem. They don't know what this team looks like with Drummond and LeBron and Anthony Davis. We saw that it took some easing back in for Anthony Davis to have those two spectacular games that we just saw him have. Now you're adding a third element to that. What we've seen from the Lakers, even when their superstars were injured, was a a real emphasis on defense that managed to keep up even with them out. What we're wondering about is how they function offensively with all of these pieces. His inability to go tonight is worrisome because, one, it means he's not altogether there right? You can argue all you want about what matchup he wants to return to. For me, this means that there's still tenderness there. It's still a problem. And if that's plaguing him, that makes me worry about what status he'll be when he does return. And it also takes away yet another opportunity for them to work together. Now, Richard Jefferson was on uh, Get Up today and seemed to think this was about matchups. I agree, but I also think it means that he's just not healthy. Here's Richard Jefferson.
3: I think with LeBron James, it's more, there's a lot more tactical. Do you want to play the Knicks and one of the most physical, you know, aggressive defenses, right, on your first game back? Or do you want to play the Houston Rockets that are rebuilding phase? We'll say that politely. And you can actually get a little bit more run. It's a more, a little bit more free flowing up in style. You can kind of ease into the Mm -hmm. game. So when I look at like who you come back against is so, so important because it allows you to kind of pace how you're going to play that game.
1: Sarah, I would buy that if this was the first return for LeBron. I mean, remember, he missed six weeks with a high right ankle sprain, then came back for a couple of games, and then he wasn't feeling it anymore. He missed the next four games as he rested his ankle and so to me it makes sense if you're saying hey we want to knock the rust off the right way but now you're starting to get to that point where you tried to you dipped your toe in the water you tried to come back it didn't work and the fact that again not only that but James met with an ankle specialist last week I I mean when you start piecing all of these I don't think it's any one Lego that you step on that's hurting you here it's the number of Legos that we're stepping on as we look across this it's sort of a minefield of awful for LeBron trying to come back so that's why I think you can't just attribute to picking the right matchup because frankly, he came back about a week ago against Toronto and Sacramento.
2: And you could tell yourself that the Lakers aren't in a terrible position, even if they are in the plan, they would be favored against what would probably be the Warriors. And then they might match up favorably against the Suns if that ends up being the matchup, but they would prefer to be out of the plane. And the fact that they are not able to put LeBron out against a good Knicks team tonight, giving themselves less of a chance to win shows that he is not ready and he is not healthy because they are battling the blazers right now and the blazers won that all important tiebreaker game last week which means the, the 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 blazers beat the the rockets last night they just have to do decent over the next couple games against some good teams to stay ahead of the lakers lakers have to go 4 and 0 blazers have to drop two of their games well, or if the, Bla- if the Lakers lose one, the Blazers have to go one and three. So they're not in control of their own destiny. So taking LeBron out for what could be a pivotal game against the Knicks means he ain't ready. And that's a real big problem as we near that play-in tournament.
1: I still just – I it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. I'm not sure the league could have gotten any luckier in some ways than they're getting right now for the interest in the play-in tournament when you think about the fact that we're going to end up getting – Lakers and Warriors in the playing tournament. Like, it just feels strange <laughs> to even say it out you loud. You say that, but what
2: happens if the Lakers get bounced?
1: Right. And then it goes from best case to as worst case. As much as case. we love Very Steph, quickly.
2: I don't need to see that Warriors team in the postseason as much as I'd like to see a much more well rounded Lakers team.
1: Yeah, that, that is 100% true. By the way, this is Dave McMinneman with the latest on LeBron and the health update for him.
3: Kevin, there's a few elements at play here. One, he came back what is now certainly premature. Uh, when he played those two games against the Kings and the Raptors coming off the six-week layoff with the ankle. So this time it's a little bit of uh, measuring twice and cutting once on the return. Also, you know, he went through two practices and was able to go really hard on the court and come through with no pain. But the body tells you a lot by taking a day off after those two practices and then trying to re-engage. So tomorrow morning he'll have a better idea. And then also the idea that Anthony Davis right now is carrying the Lakers. They are in a good groove. They have found a sense of urgency. Davis has 78 points of the Lakers' last two games. And so it's not quite the crisis moment it was, say, a week ago. The Lakers feel like they have a good game plan going into the next game, even if there isn't LeBron James in uniform.
1: I mean, they can feel like they've got a good game plan because AD's playing lights out. I just don't know how sustainable. As much as every single, every person I've listened to, Sarah, break any of this down, keeps telling me nobody can cover AD, and I get that, but that is just, at this point, that's not the way the Lakers thought they'd be going into this playoff.
2: Yeah, I mean, the biggest, biggest, I guess, probably best matchup for them would be the Suns, maybe the Jazz. I think the Clippers would be the toughest matchup, as much as we've seen the Clippers disappoint at the postseason level in terms of... Um, how they line up against them. That's who they least want to see. Um, but you're just adding miles to a team that needs to get guys healthy. They need to work together and practice on their synergy and everything else, but they also need to rest those guys and not possibly tweak further injuries. So they haven't put themselves in a good position needing to play so hard, so deep down the stretch here. Uh, by the way, a couple other things on on the line tonight, as there's a ton of NBA games on the slate Miami can clinch a playoff spot if they beat the Celtics. Indiana can clinch a spot in the play-in tournament with a win and a Bulls loss. Dallas gets a playoff spot with a win and a Lakers loss. And the Knicks clinch a playoff spot with a win and a Celtics loss. Also, Charlotte uh, assures themselves of the play-in tournament spot if they win or the Bulls lose. So, a ton at stake. Also, some division titles, which aren't really that important except for in tiebreakers, but... um, Man, this is really coming down to the wire, and the play and stuff is working exactly as the NBA hoped.
1: Yeah, this is the most excited I've felt at the end of a season. By the way, I do want to give a little love, speaking of what we've seen this season, to uh, Russ, and obviously... Uh, Westbrook uh, set yet another landmark. I feel like it's like a daily conversation now to come in and say, hey, Russ has done something with triple doubles, but he has set the mark and now stands alone with the most career triple doubles of any player in NBA history. So incredible moment for him, obviously, to get that. I'm not sure that we value individual stats the way we should at this point. I've said this a million times, Sarah, but I feel like in 20 years, they'll look back and say, hey, I'm not. you guys didn't really appreciate what you had because Russ has done some incredible things.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. He's simultaneously underrated and overrated, Ah. right? There are people who put him up there in the top point guards of all time, and I I just don't think that's accurate because he's got such a gaping hole in the mid-range and as a jump shooter. But I also think people use that part of his game not being there to criticize the hole and not understand the difficulty in putting up triple-doubles and not just squeaking by, like 17-rebound, 25-point, 15-assist kind of triple-doubles, right? He's not just barely getting them um and i you know it reminded me of when james harden got criticized for his step back threes and they frustrated me and i don't find them aesthetically pleasing but he said they told you you got two steps they didn't say they had to be forwards and it made me think oh You're a genius. You're just reinventing the game. And that's the way I feel about Westbrook in terms of resetting expectations. I don't expect him to be a great jump shooter. I accept that he is the least efficient jump shooter in the entire league. (laughs) And he makes up for it by being an incredible rebounder, passer, and facilitator. So instead of criticizing that one part of his game that we know is deeply problematic, we can accept that he has made the most out of himself as a basketball player, despite missing the fundamental part of playing, which is making baskets.
1: That is some straight talk. Straight talk wireless. No contracts, no compromise. All right, we're just getting started. We're just getting rolling. We have updates to all of the controversy around the Kentucky Derby. Plus, one player that everybody's questioning why is he returning to the NFL? We'll talk about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio.
0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
1: Ever thought that we'd be talking day in and day out about controversy with horse racing? Sarah Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. And I'm a little bit surprised, I'm a little bit baffled at this point that one of the biggest topics throughout the course of the week continues to be controversy around the Kentucky Derby. And it's a black eye on the sport that, frankly, I don't know how they fix. Because Bob Baffert, the uh, the trainer that's responsible for the horse, that uh, obviously now Medina Spirit that we talked about so much, has now acknowledged that the horse was treated with an antifungal ointment called Automax, which includes beta which is the anti inflammatory drug that Medina Spirit tested positive for after winning the Kentucky Derby. This is a historic black eye for the sport, as at this point, it looks like Medina Spirit's going to be stripped of the 2021 Kentucky Derby Championship. And there aren't any answers that Bob Affords are going to be able to give anybody that they'll actually believe, sir. Yeah, this is a.
2: Uh... An interesting thing, too, because Medina Spirit is going to be allowed to race at the Preakness. So the punishment for the removal of the victory and uh, what we heard was Baffert maybe banned from Churchill Downs um, doesn't carry over to the horse racing elsewhere and potentially winning the owner, which is a complication. Right. It's like punishing the team, but not the athlete because it's a horse. So you can't blame the horse and remove it. But it does create issues of continuity across the sport when the horse can just go race at the next event, proving, assuming that it uh, uh, tests clear. I had a lot to say about this on Around the Horn today. I was a little fired up about this man's history of drugging horses and the sport in general. So let's just play what I had to say instead of me repeating myself. Yeah, well, this is a guy who's had 30 horses fail drug tests, including five in the last just about a year. If indeed it was the ointment, I urge everyone to Google it because the second ingredient on the front in big fat letters is beta So that would be profoundly stupid if that's why this horse got caught. Are you more likely to believe they're profoundly stupid or profoundly underhanded and that they're using that ointment as an excuse because they actually intentionally injected the horse with a specific thing to help it race better? Either way, the answer is that they should be held accountable for it and that the horse doesn't get to choose. To Ramona's point. We, uh, we endorse a sport that involves the drugging of animals that do not choose to be there, raced in a way that is inherently dangerous for them, to the point where I can't watch because someone has to tell me if one of them died mid-race before I can watch the replay. Let's find another event that we can wear pretty hats to. How about that?
1: Wow, Sarah, coming with the fire. That is a a strong, strong take. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. And uh, by the way, I'll wear a pretty hat to any event. You don't have to ask me twice. And Uh, maybe ones
2: where animals don't die. That's more fun for me.
1: I think you and me both. I think one of the things that is really uh, sort of shocking to me throughout all of this is that it's not the first time that Baffert has had to speak. It's not the first time that Baffert has been asked about this. To your point that you made, uh, he's dealt with five other tests that uh, have come back. Uh, the wrong way under his watch but he also stood up about a year ago and said he was going to be more involved and that in the process of being more involved he would make sure that nobody in his camp was screwing up because he couldn't imagine how this was happening and now we've seen him come out and absolutely deny harshly that anything was done before reading a prepared statement today that simply comes in and essentially says my bad i just didn't know it doesn't make any sense for him to deliver the message the way he delivers it, it doesn't make any sense for him to try and get away with it because every, every horse racing expert has said nobody would have gotten away with it. Why is he even trying? So I don't know if he chooses not to care about the rules, if, he just doesn't, uh, if he's just dumb when it comes to the rules, or if he just doesn't care. But anyway, well, across the board, horse racing has to do something because how can anybody ever bet on any race that he's a part of not knowing what he's done?
2: Well, not just him, but to your point, he had so many issues before, five of these issues in the last year, and said he was getting a different, you know, horse trainer and he was bringing in new people because he didn't try and he wanted to keep a close eye on all this. It's all BS, right? And the point is that doping is not specific to Baffert and it's not. Um, a a surprising issue in this sport. It's consistent. In Europe, you are not allowed to have any percentage of synthetic drugs in animals. That way they know if it exists, it's because of humans. In America, it's this this percentage and this many days, which really muddies the waters. And like I said, the continuity across different races for horses makes it really difficult for punishments to go beyond, well, we took away the race that you won, uh, but keep trying because if we don't catch you next time, maybe you'll get to keep all that money Um, And in the end, again, we're drugging horses to race them to make money off them when they don't choose to be in the sport, when they are incredibly fragile, where thousands of them die a year. And because people like to wear hats and make money off of it, we kind of ignore the fact that it's complete and utter animal cruelty. And if one person sends me a message that says horses live better than most humans, I would ask you if they get saddled up and run until their legs break. And in the meantime, they get to live in a nice barn and eat grass sorry, that argument doesn't actually work. It's just the empty platitude that you say when you hear someone criticizing something that you don't want to have to face the reality of. No,
1: I don't disagree with anything you just said. And uh, I will never forget hosting OTL uh, right before the end of that show when I was on it. And uh, there was a deep dive into all of the issues across horse racing. And for me, it was really eye opening. So if anyone hasn't seen it, go out and look for it. I'm sure it's out there. Uh, on social media somewhere in 1968 that's the only other time that a kentucky derby winner has been disqualified because of a drug violation i'm gonna have to hit up our buddies at bet and figure out what it even means for the people that bet on the race like how does Uh, they've already
2: announced that it doesn't matter if you had Mandaloon; you're not getting your money
1: oh i mean all of this is so complicates
2: things when people are putting their money into something that is deeply corrupt
1: Uh, So we'll keep updating on that as we get more information. But, Sarah, there's another story I think that everybody's sort of got one eye raised towards, and it's the return of Tim Tebow uh, to the NFL as he's going to be a Jacksonville Jaguar coming in and, I guess, implementing the culture of Urban Meyer. I I mean, it's a curious decision to me and something that uh, Bob Wischusen was in on Barton Hahn today. This is what he said about the decision. If Tim Tebow goes out there and
4: balls are bouncing off his helmet, he drops everything that's thrown to him, he clearly can't do this, and he's on the opening day roster, that's a whole other conversation. And that is where Urban Meyer will lose his locker room before he even has a chance to coach them.
2: Yeah, this is interesting to me, Fitz, because like I said yesterday, I don't begrudge... Tim Tebow, it's sort of hate the don't hate the player, hate the game. He's a guy whose entire identity is wrapped up in athletics. And if people will continue to keep giving him chances, he's going to keep trying, right? So, <laughs> fine, if he wants to keep dreaming, people keep giving him a shot. This is about Urban Meyer, and this is about the risks that he's willing to take as a new head coach. He already completely blew it trying to hire a strength and containing... Uh, conditioning trainer that had just been fired a couple of months earlier for multiple racial allegations and abuse at his collegiate hire at his collegiate job. So he, he risks the culture in that way. Then he's going to bring in a guy who he claims is going to help his culture who hasn't ever played the position and is at the age that most are retiring and hasn't been in the league since 2012. Why not bring him in as a coach? Why not give some young guy an opportunity? To me, this reeks of privilege, and it could be risky for him to try to force this upon a team of professionals who will say, we really don't need Tim Tebow to teach us how to work hard.
1: And, and by the way, sir, best point you've made all day right there at the end. Like, this is a room full of grown-ass people, right? Like, there is a moment where you just got to understand that this isn't a bunch of college kids that have to take whatever you want to give them. Uh, whatever has been accomplished in Urban Meyer's career means nothing to a bunch of NFL professionals that are sitting there saying, okay, like, do it at this level. Like, things work differently in the NFL. And if you need a tight end to be in the room to implement your culture then you got a problem. Like mm-hmm. uh, to me, this is just another massive, curious misstep. And ultimately, the Jags have been bad for a really long time. But the Jags need to do now is get good. And they've got a quarterback in Trevor Lawrence that should accomplish that for them. All Urban Meyer has to do is not screw this up in the way he builds it around uh, Trevor Lawrence. And I'm afraid that, that, that he's not going to do that. So mm-hmm. We'll obviously keep giving you all the hot takes. But we're going to switch gears coming up. We're going to talk to one of the stars of the WNBA, Spain and Fitz.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
2: Ooh, we are close to the start of the WNBA season this week. And we get Chanae's 144 film coming up Thursday night to get us ready for it. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. All the show stuff that you might miss, ESPN app, Apple iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. We're presented by Progressive Insurance and... Joining us now to give us a little preview of the Connecticut Sun ahead of the WNBA season, it's center Brianna Jones. Brianna, before we even get to the 25th season, hashtag count it, you're coming off a championship in the Czech League. Tell me what it was like to cut down the nets. That is a big old trophy that you got in the photos.
5: <laughs>
4: yeah, no, it was, it was great um, this season to actually to win the championship, I think, last season. Um, with COVID and everything, we didn't even get a chance to compete for the championship um, in the Czech League or in the League. So it was just good this year to be able to play and, like, finish out the season and actually compete for and win the championship.
1: What's the toughest part of the transition when you're going from WNBA to, to playing internationally? I think the toughest thing
4: is just the turnaround. I think it's just a quick uh, – I was home for maybe a week, and then I had to leave again to go overseas to play. So I think the turnaround and just, like, keeping your body ready for – uh, both seasons and trying to like stay healthy is the, the, the hardest part of the transition.
2: Yeah. Brianna, the health is absolutely a big part of it. I just had a late Adela down on my podcast this week though. And she said, the biggest thing is the officiating and that one of her early international games, she realized she was like in major foul trouble in the first half because they just call it so different. Yeah. Do you notice that mm-hmm. as well, especially as a physical player?
4: Yeah, they definitely, they definitely do call it different. And you definitely have to adjust to like um, the little differences in the game that way. Um, Like, how they call the game and, like, how other teams, um, like, there's just little differences that you don't pay attention to until you get there. And, like, once you're in it and then you realize uh, things like that. Um, But definitely as a physical player, it it definitely was tough for me the first year going overseas um, and getting used to that.
1: I mean, Brianna, we're burying the lead here, though. Like, you go from Connecticut to Czechoslovakia, like, the food thing's got to be really weird. Like, what are you eating over there that you really love? I mean, I
4: usually cook while I'm overseas, so I usually just like uh, go to the grocery store and everything, and like just find once I find once I find things that I like, and I can cook whatever I want. Um, but the the Czech food there, um, it's pretty good. I haven't had anything there that I loved.
2: A lot of it was decent, good enough, good enough, especially if you're winning titles out there. Uh, Brianna Jones of the Connecticut yeah. Sun with us here on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. Last year was a big breakout for you. You earn a starting spot. You start twenty-one to twenty-two games, and your numbers go way up. What do you think was the big pivot point for you? Because obviously, great success at the collegiate level, but took you a couple years to earn that starting spot at, in mm-hmm. the pros.
4: Um, I think, oh, especially when I first got into the league uh, with the Connecticut Sun. I mean, they had a great roster. Uh, it was, I mean, it was tough to playing behind uh, Chanequa Gumake, playing behind JJ, playing behind uh, Alyssa. Um, it was just tough to be on the court, and I think. Um, it was kind of a blessing in disguise like that JJ didn't show up last season to come to the bubble. It was tough. I mean, we missed her a lot, of course, but um, it, it gave me the opportunity to uh, to actually play and uh, get out there on the court and show what I can do. And I think I just made the most of it. And I think I got to show uh, why I'm why I'm on the sun and why I'm in this league and why I, um, I'm here to play.
1: You know, it's interesting that you mentioned the bubble, Brianna, because we, we talked a lot about it on this show. I mean, the wobble it was, Obviously, such a strange place to be. Now you go back into the WNBA season, but obviously still fighting COVID, but fighting it in a different way. You're not in a bubble situation. Like, what's the thing that at this point, when you look at this upcoming season, that sort of concerns you the most?
4: Uh, I think the traveling concerns me the most just because we're flying commercial flights everywhere. And we go to planes with strangers uh, that they may want to wear a mask the whole flight. They may not. So they're sneezing, coughing, everything, and there's nothing that we can do to control that. But um, I think the league has done a good job of uh, doing what, uh, controlling what we can't control in other ways, like when we are on the buses and like when we're um, we get tested every day. So I think uh, those situations that we can control and the league can't control, like we're doing the best that we can. But other than that, I think the traveling and on the commercial flights is like the biggest concern for me.
2: Rihanna Jones of the Connecticut Sun with us here on Spain and Fitz. Let's talk about this season. Um, you know, obviously, like you mentioned, when there are players out opting out or injured, it certainly allows for players like you to step up and find your role and have an increased role. Um, but, you know, there's also the the drawbacks of losing players to injury and, and having to adjust. So as you look at the roster right. this year, you look at who's going to be available. You know, everybody's going to say we're in it to win it all. But what do you what do you expect? And, and how do you see the, what what are some of the challenges this year for the Sun entering the season?
4: I think one of our biggest challenges is—I mean, we're losing Alyssa, uh, yeah. and she's one of our like toughest players on the court. and She brings a lot of heart every game, a lot of energy, um, and she runs us in transition. So I think uh, that's going to be a big piece that we're going to be missing. But it's, it's definitely going to be a help having uh, JJ back again this year. So we lose one, but we we, we uh we get back a, a great player. So I think we're still going to be looking good um, this season, and we're just going to have to change a little, play a little differently than we have in the past. But I think once we figure that out and uh, get our chemistry back together, I think we're going to be still in a, in
2: a good situation this season. Alyssa you know, Thomas, uh, torn Achilles tendon, no timetable, but expected to be out for the whole season. Go ahead, Fitz.
1: Uh, Brianna, if you look at the WNBA, again, one of the things we focused on is the growth of the sport and how important this year is. From the outside mm-hmm. looking in, it feels like the WNBA is getting more attention than ever in a really good way. You're in it though. Does it feel like you're getting more attention and people are spending more time paying attention to the sport from where you stand?
4: Uh definitely. I think uh through the just from when I first entered the league to now, we're definitely getting so much more attention um in a in a positive way and I think it's good for the league in order for us to continue to grow and continue to pave the way for the um, the girls coming after. us.
2: You guys have this big 3 style now after those changes that were made last year, Joanna Bonner alongside you, mm-hmm. and as you mentioned, J.J. Quell Jones. Um, how much is that going to affect the style of play that we expect to see from the team this year, especially with the list out?
4: Um, I think we're definitely going to have a lot more um, inside game this season uh, playing through the paint. Um, I mean, we still have amazing shooters in, uh, in um, Jazz and Joanna and uh, J.J., but I think it's just going to be a lot more uh, through the paint for us this season. That's going to be a little different than our usual style.
2: We're talking to Brianna Jones, Connecticut Sun Center here on Spain and Fitz. Uh, last question for you, 25th season, hashtag count it. I was talking to our, our girl, Monica McNutt, and she said that there's a real emphasis mm-hmm. on a number of social issues that are going to be tied to the league this year. We're used to seeing that from the W. You guys are, are superheroes off the court as well as on anything particular for you or the team or the league that you're excited about um, getting into in addition to, obviously, the hooping.
4: I'm just excited to continue what we started in the bubble. I think um, the way we used our platform in the bubble as a, as a group of 144 women together, I think that was powerful. And I think um, if we can continue to use that to uh, continue to grow our message and uh, uh, grow this message uh, for social change, I think um, we're going to do big things and we can create a lot of change together. And it's going to be good for our, for our country.
2: Totally agree. For the country, for the league, for women's sports, all all sorts of stuff. You guys have been on the forefront of so many really important issues. It's always uh, impressive to see the multitasking done by these incredible athletes who are also doing so much off the court. Thanks for the time. Good luck this season, uh, except for against my Chicago Sky and against Memphis uh, <laughs> Vegas Aces. Other than that, get other after Other than it. that, other <laughs> than that, you know, it's good. Other than that. <laughs> Thank Thanks, you guys Rhianna. so much for having me. Lots of different storylines to dive into as we get ready for the start of the WNBA season. Brianna Jones of the Connecticut Sun brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear. More driven. We'll keep getting you ready for the season with uh, different players and teams and perspectives. I also want to point you to my podcast this week. Not only do I have the head coach of the Red Stars getting you ready for their season, and WSL starts this weekend. But Elena Deladon came back on. And first of all, I'd like to say this is uh, Elena like you haven't heard her before. She I've known her since literally the day she was drafted by the Chicago Sky. And to see her kind of mature and grow up and face a lot of tough stuff. I mean, she struggles with Lyme disease that takes her out of seasons at times. Uh, She had to opt out last year because doctors uh, her personal doctors told her covid could negatively affect uh, and be spurred on by her Lyme disease. And then she had to battle the WNBA on payment for that after opting out now undergoing back surgery. I mean, she just she's had a lot to go through and she came on the podcast and was really open about dealing with all of that and how growing up with an older sister who has uh, a multitude of health issues um, has sort of made her try to just be steady and solid and not be a burden on people, even in those moments where. She should lean on someone. So it's a great podcast, and it's, it's Elena, like you haven't heard her before. But I wanted to quickly play this part, which I think is a little newsy. It's just her talking about where she's at in recovery from surgery as she looks ahead to both the Mystic season and the Olympics. So yeah. timeline for you, with the WNBA starting before the break for the Olympics, you know, are you expecting to be able to be 100% and, and get through both season or, I guess, a season and a competition? Or are yeah. we still, you know... <laughs>
4: that's always the hope right now though I'm literally going day by day because I am so learning new movements even new ways of walking right now um I've always been a heel walker where I reach ahead with my heel and pull
5: myself forward instead of being a toe pusher
4: which interesting heel stuff is very jarring on a back yeah (laughs) and I've learned that so it's been super exciting to work with people who are changing my movements and i'm able to like correct my pain and not just like lay on a table have them massage me feel good but i go home and feel awful so that's kind of been the difference this go around in rehab and i'm excited about all i've learned and how much stronger i can be once i start connecting with the floor and my feet much better
2: So Fitz, this could go one of two ways. Either you're very concerned that she has this health issue and will she be fully recovered or she turns into an even better basketball player, which seems sort of hard to picture. But if Elena Deladon was doing things that prevented her from being at peak strength and now she's going to fix those, the league is in trouble. I'm
1: shook. Like that. <laughs> Just that concept makes no sense to
2: me. She's already Dirk. She's already 50, 40, 90. What's she going to do if she figures out how to walk right? Uh, you can catch more of Elena Della with me. That's what she said. Podcast with Sarah Spain. Coming up, there's a lot of Vegas news today. Tons Ooh. of Vegas news. We're going to tap into fits the sweet spot. Coming up next.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
2: Ah, Stash just roasting Fitz with the rejoins when he wasn't even around yesterday. And I happen to point out that your disrespect for the queen is much more problematic than anybody who would ignore the pawn. And that's because you keep cheating on me with other slots. We've gone over this. It's a problem. You seem never to feel sorry about
1: it. Open relationship.
2: Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. (laughs) Jason Fitz, also known as Spain, also known as Spain and Company also known as me and that guy who occasionally stops by when he's not cheating on me with other slots on ESPN radio, the ESPN app, Series XM channel 80 ESPN radio is presented by progressive insurance, small business protection for more than vehicles with insurance expertise to keep your company moving forward. More dot com. The most important part of the rejoin is that I got Stash watching the queen's gambit and he is hooked because it's incredible. So I feel good about uh, spreading the joy of the queen's gambit. I wish I could start it all over again. And it's actually a perfect transition into this conversation about Vegas because there's gambles, there's there's moves, there's strategy. There's all sorts of things that uh, that dominate the life of Vegas, and Fitz knows it well. Your mom was a casino manager, floor mm-hmm. manager?
1: Yeah, my yeah. mom was a floor manager, yeah. As a I kid, mean, you're so.
2: true Vegas, like real Vegas, not uh, not uh, the outskirts. What do you want to tackle first, Raiders, A's, or Aces?
1: Well, let's start with the Raiders. My beloved Raiders have announced it, uh, or it has come out today, that the Raiders are going to be putting – a club in the end zone. Uh, and so it's funny because for all the years in Oakland, everybody talked about how would they replicate the black hole? Apparently the idea is essentially to have, you know, David get a spinning hits. I don't <laughs> know. Like it, they're going to go with an end zone nightclub feel uh, as part of their partnership with MGM casinos. It uh, They're putting the win uh, vibe on it. So you'll be able to get in the club. While you watch the Raiders play. And frankly, Sarah, I I think it's a a great idea. The stadium experience gets tougher and tougher to replicate, especially in Vegas, where, frankly, you could go to any one of, you know, whatever, a hundred different sports books across Vegas and watch the game in a really cool atmosphere if you want to. So there's got to be a draw to get into the stadium that is completely sold out. But I think this is a good long-term concept of, of how to create a really party vibe that matches Vegas personality with the Raiders.
2: 42 TVs, a 9-foot by 35-foot LED screen, two DJ booths, a 45,000-watt sound system, 11,000 square feet based on the mock-up photos. It looks like, you know, you're sitting at a club table where you can get bottle service, which, by the way, can you think of any single more expensive combination than the price of alcohol at an NFL game times the price of bottle service at a Vegas club? Like the the markups on both of those combining. It's an ambitious crossover event that will not be for the week of Wallet because I can't even imagine that cost.
1: I remember the first time I was trying to get into a club with my brother who still lives in Vegas. And at the time, this is many, many years ago, he was arguing with the club about how many people we had because we had too many people for one bottle. And, you know, I I was like, oh, I'll just buy a bottle like it's a bottle Ooh, of vodka. No, no big deal. oh, no. And then they told me how much the bottle was. And I was like, never mind. Never, <laughs> never
2: mind. mind. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a fun idea. I think your point is a valid one. You need to keep drawing people in. And I think a lot of people are going to be in Vegas to see their team play and may have varying levels of enthusiasm about the game itself. So this is like a, a bit of a distraction. I don't know how they do the noise of the two TJ booths during the game. I'd imagine it's limited to when they would be playing music in a regular football game, you can't just have a club blasting while the game is going on. I'm interested to see how players might celebrate using the club. Uh, we get you know, some gronk spikes right into the middle of a bottle service. That's not going to go over well if it costs $1,000 $1, dollars a glass. Um, so yeah, this pre- prevents us with, or presents us, I'm sorry, with some pretty exciting opportunities. We'll see how it actually plays as far as an in-game. Situation. I think it'll be used a lot on non-game days for people who want the experience of seeing the stadium and going to the club in a different way. Mid-game seems interesting.
1: Yeah, well, Raiders, you know, everybody knows my love for the Raiders and I, I do some work with them here and there. I definitely hit the team up today and was like, hey, if you need a postgame host this fall, like I can think of a good place to do it. I work wow, for bottles, another so. another
2: slot that you yeah. expressed interest in. Look, yeah, at, yeah, that. Yeah. A Look a Sunday, at that. It's a Sunday, though.
1: We're off on Sunday.
2: Honestly, know, everybody... Vegas slots are the worst. They're the yeah. hardest for you to come back to me after. You're just not going to want to come back after you get, get into some Vegas slots. It's Spain and Fitz. Uh, speaking of the Raiders, Mark Davis, um, also the new owner of the Aces in the WNBA, made a couple announcements today, um, including a new president for the team. Um, And in this press conference announced um, sort of a surprising and I'm still trying to get to the bottom of the impetus behind this. But he said they will be limiting fans at the home games in Vegas to 2000, about the same as the season ticket holder base. They will get free tickets and free parking as a thanks for their support in the past. If you paid for season tickets for the Aces, you're getting your money back. And that's the only people that are getting in. I'm not sure what that's about because Vegas is pretty open for covid stuff. Right. So are they limiting their fans?
1: Yeah, it sounds like the, Vegas is essentially open and, uh, you know, the, the day clubs are already a madhouse. So uh, I'm a little surprised by this and I've, I've tried to ask some people, haven't gotten some answers yet on why they're doing what they're doing. But most importantly, now I feel bad asking for free swag. Like if they're going to be running at a loss all year in the W.A., I, I feel like now, you know, should you go buy, a like, buy, buy a hat? Buy something. Yeah. yeah. You
2: have 11 jobs here. You can you can <sighs> you can find the scratch for a hat. I mean, uh, yes. Nikki Vargas, the next president of the Aces, former LSU women's coach and the wife of a former Raider. Uh, speaking of former players, she also announced they're going to celebrate the league's 25th anniversary and the franchise's anniversary in its different previous locations by starting an alumni association, welcoming a group of former players at each game. Obviously, the Aces just a couple years here in Vegas, but going to incorporate the history of the franchise, which I like. I think that's pretty cool. Um, last bit of Vegas news, Fitz. The A's Floating out the potential of moving out of Oakland. Uh, I think this is what a lot of teams do when they just want to scare a team in a city into giving them what they ask for in terms of stadiums and other money and stuff. Uh, But let's address the one part of it that I found interesting. The floating of Vegas as a potential home. Vegas, baseball, summer, every day, 180 degrees. This uh, This sounds rough.
1: Yeah, I mean, they would have to build some sort—as long as they don't share anything with Allegiant, good God, I don't need that in my life (laughs) again— <laughs> but Another will- baseball field on your football. And I just eliminated the A's from my entire bachelor <laughs> process. But if they're going to move to Vegas, like, y'all give me a heads up so that we can, like, rechange some things. Like, I don't know if I can bring somebody back and still give them a rose. But if they're headed to Vegas, that's a game changer. But you're right. they got to put it in a dome of some sort that can be built right next to Allegiant. Just don't don't muddy up my beautiful football field with any sort of outfield. For uh, that, That's all I'm asking for, Sarah.
2: Man... Vegas getting all these all these teams. I really might lose you for good. You might just pick up and move you and Sunny all the way out to Vegas and
1: Wait, wait, wait. There, there's ESPN studios all like at the links. They've got an ESPN Radio studio. I'm, I can still do Spain and Fits from Vegas, Put my feet up every day. It's just I'm not sure if I can do it from rehab. He's already That's thought about it. Listen to, to this people.
2: He's already thought about it. He's made the plans. They're in motion. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, coming up David Jacoby going to join us to talk about the NBA.
0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
2: We are in the home stretch of the regular season for the NBA. Then we get the play-in tournament. Then we get the postseason. And there is a ton on the line tonight. Playoff spots, play-in spots, and even a couple chances for teams to be out. We'll get into it all here. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And joining us now from Jalen and Jacoby, it's David Jacoby. Thanks for the time, Jacoby. Let's talk LeBron, first of all. We were under the impression up until about a couple hours ago that he was going to go tonight against the Knicks. Some are saying it's a strategy thing. I think this is a very bad sign for the Lakers that he is not ready to go because they need every game they can get to get him back acclimated.
3: Interesting, because they do have a Tuesday night game and a Wednesday night game, so it's unlikely for him to play both. So I feel like for whatever reason, he's going to end up playing tomorrow instead of today. But I didn't see him playing in both the back to backs. But I still feel really good about LeBron and the Lakers. Like, yes, he's injured; he's out for a long time. But let's not forget they were. It felt like they were in the NBA Finals in the bubble like two months ago. You know, like mm-hmm. he had he had like a he had like a two week break in between seasons, and he was going on this MVP chase, and he was playing so much and so often. And I was concerned about his, you know. Um, fatigue factor and longevity during this season and you know what maybe a little break is good for him and I still think they've got AD and LeBron and they're going to play game one of series one and that's a tough out
1: so let's look at then the fact that LeBron came back and is now then had to sit again I mean if he came back too early and re-aggravated it like does that give you any trepidation when you're thinking about whether or not he needs to get back on the court
3: Yes, um, obviously, when he came back, I thought he would be back, but there was some, you know, some sort of setbacks. As we happened to James Harden in the Eastern Conference, but we will, uh, we will see. You know, I, one thing that I remember sometimes when I, when everything gets cluttered and I get confused, I just remember, you know, what? There's been ten NBA Finals in the last ten years, and LeBron James has been in nine of them. Just remember that, and, yeah, and I mean- you know, he missed it once.
2: It's hard to pick against him and I'm not going to. He's on a very short list of people I've decided I will not pick against until they retire, and even maybe not then with him. But it just feels different. The way he's talking about not being 100%, the way he hasn't been able to come back at a time which is very important for them. Right now to me it feels like they are just in the playing, right? The the yep. losses that would be required by the Blazers combined with the wins by them, you're kind of you're kind of ready to see them face off with the Warriors in one game, right?
3: I love drama, okay? And I, I love the way that this play-in tournament has created the drama for us, especially with the Lakers being there. I mean, the Lakers are going to have to play the 7-8 game, and then if they lose, they're going to have to play the winner of the 9-10 game, and then they're going to get in, and they're going to have to face like a gauntlet. It It could work out where the Clippers, the Suns, and the Lakers all end up on one side of that bracket, which gives the Jazz a really good opportunity mm-hmm. to kind of like you, know, you can never coast to the Western Conference Finals, but you're going to have to take on the Nuggets without Jamal Murray. So it, it's really shaping up to be interesting. And I think this playing tournament, while it's been criticized by players like LeBron and like Luka Doncic, who would be in without it, it's it's really making a lot of intrigue and interest at this part of the season.
1: So we agree with that, by the way. We're talking to David Jacoby. You can check out Jalen and Jacoby. We've been talking a lot about how much we like the play tournament on this show, but you know, part of that is realistically because the Lakers and Warriors are going to be part of this play-in tournament. We're not talking about the East playing tournament near as much. If we didn't have these great brands involved in the play-in tournament, would it still be viewed as such a success?
3: I think so because, um, and and Sarah, you might know I listened to this, but there's not too much drama with the Bulls. So we're not talking about mm-hmm. like, like 11 and 10, but what we are talking <laughs> about is watching someone like LaMelo Ball play. And, and, and watching, there's a lot of intrigue with the Boston Celtics, who are playing right now, and Jalen and Brown is out for the season, and they could be playing for a play. And let's imagine a scenario in which they lose a playing game or two playing games. Then they have to look in the mirror and make some really serious inquiries about what they do with this roster, with the front office. Obviously, the, the coach is signed an extension, so the problem is anything with him. But it's it just like – it reverberates throughout the league and it puts more teams in a position where they want to win games, where games like this at the end of the season feel like playoff games. It's just good for the league across the board and fans like us.
2: Completely agree. David Jacoby Jalen Jacoby with us here on the Goodyear Hotline on Spain and Fitz. You mentioned the Celtics, so I have to ask. This is a team that gave up 79 and a half to the 25th-ranked mm. offense in the League of the Heat. Um, they are the one – in the oklahoma city thunders 1 and 22 in their last 23 games they are the one team that the thunder has managed to beat in that absolutely putrid stretch is there any reason to believe especially with jalen out now that they can do anything in this postseason
3: no they've shown absolutely no reason to believe in them and it's they have the talent, especially with Tatum. And don't forget how good Tatum was playing before the bubble last year and in spots this year. They've got a lot of problems in the front court. Um, you know, I love, I love Time Lord. He, he gives them good minutes, but Tristan Thompson hasn't really worked out. He was supposed to sort of, sort of sure up that spot, and he has not done so. So when you when you look at them, they've got Tatum and Brown locked in. They've got Marcus Smart locked in. They've got Kemba and Brad Stevens signed extensions. So you're looking at them like, all right, let's imagine they flame out in the first round or don't even make the first round. Then what do you do, as an organization? They don't have a lot of leeway to sort of like make sweeping changes.
1: I mean, let's apply that same principle then to some of the other teams in the East because what you're saying makes a lot of sense. But if, if Philly flames out in the first round, or if the bucks flame out in the first round, it feels like they're going to be asking some of the same questions. Won't they?
3: Yeah, but they've got, they've got very favorable matchups. Philly. Philly's one thing I like about the way that this is shaping up, and I don't know what's going to happen over the next few games, but it looks like both number one seeds are going to have no one. There's no such thing as a cushy path to the conference finals, but they've, they've earned it through the 72 games in the regular season, they've put up some of the best records in the league and they're going to get favorable matchups. Because if you look at the playing tournament with the Celtics, whether it's going to be the Celtics, the heat or the Hornets or whoever it ends up actually being, they're going to be set up nice. So I would say it's rare to see the Sixers, but when you look at the bucks, there could be a bucks Brooklyn second round series. And if the bucks don't come out of that, after not coming out of um, the heat series in the bubble and obviously losing previously to the Raptors and the Celtics and like that, then that's going to be tricky, especially when they, they um, gave up all of their future picks to get Drew holiday.
2: Spain and Fitz here, Spain, Jason Fitz, looking at the end of this NBA regular season ahead to the play and tourney in the postseason with David Jacoby from Jalen and Jacoby. Do you have any idea your, your house's bet on this now um, who you think is coming out of the East or West? Cause to me, this feels like the most, up in the air playoffs in a long time.
3: I would say this that I haven't I haven't been at this point in the regular season and counted on my fingers, because I'm not that smart, like how many teams <laughs> that could <laughs> see hoisting the Larry O'Brien trophy. When you start doing that math, like how many teams could I actually envision winning it all? It's like seven or eight. It's wild. I've never seen it like this. However, like I said earlier, when things get confusing, just think about the talent. And the talent in Brooklyn And the talent in Los Angeles, it's just, it's it's, it's hard to pick against. You can scheme against certain teams that you can scheme against Giannis and you can sort of scheme against um, Simmons and Embiid, but I just can't see scheming against James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving on the same team. Like, in a seven-game series, any one of those guys could go up for 40. And we've seen what LeBron and AD can do. We've seen what LeBron can do. I'm going to say it again. Nine of the last ten years he's been in the finals, and I see no reason that this year would be any different.
1: Can I real quick then, like, can I make the argument that you'll buy here that the best case scenario for the league, knowing that Brooklyn and the Lakers are so good, and they'll be able to run it back next year, is actually let all these injuries and everything that's plagued them, let two other teams get in, so we get something interesting for once.
3: Well, anything would be interesting, but honestly, I feel like the having those five stars. When you talk about AD LeBron, KD Kyrie, James Harden, we're talking about we can like talk about this or that, but they're basically five of the best. 10, 11, 12 players in the league, to have that kind of star power, to have the two coastal cities, to have all of that in this season, in the NBA finals, would absolutely be the best thing for the league this year.
2: Yeah, I mean, I agree with you that it feels like we've had these two top teams the whole time and we could still end up with them. But between injuries and the fact that no team has ever been defensively ranked as low as the Nets and gone on to win it, uh, there's a lot of reasons that we might get surprised. Uh, Thanks for the insight. Always appreciate it.
1: Appreciate you, brother.
3: Of course. Appreciate you NBA... guys. I'm down to join you guys anytime.
2: All right. Awesome. We'll have you back. Maybe we'll have you if one of those teams get bounced. We'll see what you think about uh, rest the rest of the uh, slate of teams. NBA playoffs are on ESPN Radio. Tune in tomorrow night as the Hawks host the Wizards, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 6.30 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN radio stations. Coming up. An MLB team found themselves without a chunk of their coaching staff, and we still have a whole lot of questions about something that's supposed to be just a few months away. We'll explain both next. ESPN Radio.
0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
2: And Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, hanging out with you on a Tuesday night. We're off tomorrow. Fitz is back Thursday, is that correct? Yep. I'll be doing the ESPNW Summit on Thursday. You can register for free online. Just Google ESPN. W N Y C summit. Lots of good stuff there. And then we'll be back together on Friday. Uh interesting story coming out of the MLB. And I don't have a lot of answers yet. I just have a lot of questions. And it's okay to talk about things early on and, and sort of spin them into conversations. Um and this one is not the first we've seen of a fully vaccinated person getting COVID. We saw it actually in the NBA and the Warriors, a player, but um it does leave some questions about the confidence that we have playing sports, changing protocols because of the vaccination percentages. And the Yankees are dealing with multiple coaches out, their third base coach positive, and now spinning into five coaches total that have, uh, have positive tests, according to Marley Rivera. Um, now, according to team uh, spokespeople – Most of the team is vaccinated, and because they have such a large mass of vaccinated people, it will allow them to keep playing. If you have an 85 percent plus vaccination rate among players and staff, you get to relax your protocols. And so presumably they will go on with, you know, the proper testing and contact tracing and everything fits. But it does open up some questions in sports when we think we've kind of gotten past a certain threshold and we might not be quite where we think we are, even if these are anomalous cases.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to note here that Phil Nevin, the third base coach, according to the team, is has been fully vaccinated. So uh, this is one of those moments that we're reminded that there's a lot we're still trying to figure out and don't know in these situations. And how, how does it impact somebody that's been fully vaccinated? You know, there's just so many questions that are still unsure. And it's why every time we think we've got this figured out, you just at least have to step back and acknowledge that, Whatever we know today may may change by tomorrow, and that's got to be okay. Like It's the hunt for information to try and figure it out. But I think for a lot of people looking around saying, hey, I'm vaccinated, so I'm okay, this is sort of a, a gut punch to that mindset as players and coaches alike put themselves at risk to play.
2: Yeah, um, we do know, like I mentioned, Damian Lee of the Warriors – Uh, had some pretty serious responses, you know, you know, he wasn't a lot of what they've said is, you know, if you're vaccinated, if you do get COVID, it should be a less um, severe case. Um, Lee was listed as one of only 6,000 people or so, according to the CDC, um, that has gotten the virus after going through the full vaccination process. So it is very rare. um, But headache, chills, sneezing, soreness, body aches, all of those things that he got felt like he got hit by a car. So um we do have to continue practicing uh social distancing and wearing masks and everything else while we continue to learn about the disease and the strains of it and variants and of course the vaccinations but um just something to come up that we'll have to keep uh, watching especially as we just talked yesterday to Greg Wasinski about the NHL uh, lessening some of their COVID protocols as they head into the postseason um there's been sort of disparate opinions within that league for those who are complaining about protocols and those who are saying they don't quite feel safe as they head into the postseason. So we'll keep an eye on all of that. We're also keeping an eye on the Olympics. And Fitz, I've been wanting to get us onto this topic for a while um, and and hoping to find someone who's really doing the work of of digging deep into the all the many issues, um, and we haven't yet found that perfect guess, but uh, there was a story in The Guardian that summed up a whole lot of the questions uh, about whether the Olympics can still be held in good conscience in in Tokyo. Um, There was a poll, and I can't speak to the number of people or or, or how widespread the the, the people that were polled were in terms of, you know, their neighborhood or background or affluence or politics or anything like that, but according to a very specific poll, 60% of people in Japan want the Olympics canceled. Uh, there was a notable viral photo of a hospital in Tokyo that had a banner up uh, saying, give us a break. The Olympics are impossible uh, because of surges in cases, because it is uh, currently being uh, Tokyo is currently being listed as you know a state of emergency. All of these things combining with players and athletes saying that they're not sure if they want to make the trip. And Fitz, this is a lot of question marks for something that's coming up real soon.
1: I found myself watching some of the commercials for the Olympics and it sort of raised an eyebrow for me because I'm an Olympics fanatic. Like it's one of my favorite things to consume. I I absolutely uh, I love everything about the Olympics so much that I want to get excited for it. But as I watched the commercials, I really felt like, man, we're leaving part of the story out here because I don't know how these athletes make a decision right now. When you're talking about having to go to an area in Japan that there is, as you mentioned, a state of emergency where there's still a real conversation at this point about what is best for the health of everybody that is in Japan, uh, frankly, and where vaccination is still an uphill battle and an ongoing process. So if you're an athlete, you've changed your entire life. You want the chance to compete. Now you've been put a year behind on the cycle that you were doing to get ready at the right time. And now you have to look at it and say, well, I'm still not certain everything's right. And so when you think about the layers that even the athletes are going through, it really sort of breaks my heart for everybody that, that has this limited window of opportunity that comes with the Olympics. And as you look more and more at it, it it just becomes the human element tells me it's got to be really difficult for an athlete to decide to put themselves at that risk.
2: Completely agree with you. It it is. um, And, and I think also fits, you know, over the course of the pandemic, I've been on the air, uh, not always with you for a couple months, it was with other co-hosts, but we've been following along as we continue to get information And early on in the pandemic, it was so clear for so many how to behave, which was an abundance of caution, um, a real desire to not prioritize sports in the face of a humanitarian crisis. And as we get more vaccinated, as we learn more about the virus, it's just natural to want to get back to normal, to say it's been a year. We already delayed this, to think of the athletes that are nearing the end of their ability to compete, to think of the training and everything else, of the planning, of the money spent. And have it outweigh what is now sort of a dulled emergency sort of panic feeling about a virus as we feel like we've gotten a better hold on it. But as you look at what's happening in, in in Japan, over 600,000 cases, over 10,000 deaths, more than 7,000 infections listed on Saturday, which is the highest since January, they're going the wrong direction, right? A lot of the places that we feel comfortable about reintroducing sports, they're going the right direction, and that's why we feel more comfortable Um, this is not an easy, easy thing to answer.
1: Well, and, and the layer that, you know, you know, again, I think it's a life sacrifice that it takes to get into the Olympics anyway. And that's true for so many things. I get it. But this small window for people, I always think about gymnastics where, you know, you're just hoping that you're the right age at the right time to get onto the team in the Mm -hmm. right space. And you know how much that changes just by a one year push, but the opportunity to just say, Hey wait and see how things go in LA like that's not real for so many of these Olympians that's not even an option so your option is put yourself at risk or just miss out on this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity you have waited for uh, and worked for your whole life like I I can't imagine having to make that decision and that's why I hope somebody comes in and helps everybody make these decisions because the lasting effect is going to be crippling
2: yeah completely agree and um You know, we've seen some athletes be reticent to say whether they'll compete. And we've seen others who are, you know, heading full-fledgedly toward the July, end of July dates. Um, Right now, no foreign fans. They're still making decisions on domestic attendance. That's another thing. Heartbreaking to imagine going to the Olympics and not having your loved ones be able to support you. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance, making it easy to bundle your home and car insurance. All sorts of NFL talk coming up next with one of our faves.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
1: Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and SiriusXM XM channel eighty seven. Spain, Jason Fitz. Do not forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast wherever you get your podcast. We get just some fun stuff out there. You can always catch up on the show. So if you've missed anything, great way to make sure that you don't miss it long term. Subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast wherever you get your podcast. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, and we're going to hop over to the Goodyear hotline where we are joined by one of our besties in all the land, ESPN NFL analyst Mina Kimes joining us. Mina, thanks so much for the time. The schedule release is tomorrow, and we were sort of talking about it Uh, As we were getting ready for the show tonight and sort of laughing about the the fact that, you know, everybody knows who's playing who at this point. The schedule release is mad chaos. So, like, what's something you're looking forward to when the schedule comes out tomorrow?
5: You know, I I, you're right. We all know who's playing who. So the question is, well, why does the time of year matter? And I, I would contend it matters the most for teams with rookie quarterbacks of which there are many, including uh, Sarah's beloved bears this year. That's right. Um, but, you know, we've got five teams with five quarterbacks taken in the first round and uh, five teams that are going to in- pretend they're going to be patient and, and wait, uh, maybe not in the case of Jacksonville, but um, you know, that never seems to be the case. And whenever I, I'm looking at these schedules, I always, ask myself, huh, you know, maybe if a team starts off with a difficult schedule, like say they're playing the Bucks defense first, maybe they can wait a game or two before slotting in their young rookie, uh, but it is something that I think is interesting when we think about timing that sort of on-ramping of these young passers.
2: I mean, listen, I just want to find out when my Bears are visiting Fitz's Raiders so I can go to Vegas and we can expense it to ESPN and we can Mm. fist fight in the parking lot after we have 11 teen beers. Is that too much to ask? Like, I think that's something to get excited
1: about. I'll be in the club. I don't know what you're talking about. Also, I really care how
2: many teams the Bears are going to face with Andy Dalton before they decide that they can make the switch, and I need those teams to be real trash so we have a chance to win those games. Mina Kimes is with us here on, on ESPN Radio. Mina, Thursday we've got the ESPN. Summit, As I mentioned before, people can sign up for free. Just give an email. That's all you give to register. And you've got a great panel that I'm super excited for with a handful of the Bucks coaches, including Bruce Arians in front of the show, Lori Locus. Uh, Coach Lowe is absolutely the best. I wonder, and I, I'm guessing you'll get into this in that panel discussion, whether you actually think the diversity of folks on that staff will influence the rest of the league, or is that just a nice and tidy talking point? Um,
5: I think... It will, but it's less that teams will look at the Bucks and say, "Hey, they are have incredibly diverse staff, and they've won, and we should win too," because that would be too logical, Sarah. Now, I think it's more <laughs> likely that um, you know having more women and non-white coaches on successful franchises gives them more opportunity to build trees underneath them and develop um, pipelines of you know, candidates, frankly, because and this is something we're going to talk about. But I think the question we're asking now is not whether this is good or why teams should do it or what the, you know, all the benefits are, but how, how do you even go about finding, developing talent and expanding the pool? And I think that's something that Coach Arians has thought a lot about. Um, and I'm very excited to hear his thoughts because it's something that I don't think every coach in the NFL thinks about.
1: You know, with that being said, Mina, it felt tangible this year with these special compensatory selections that came in at the end of the third round. Yeah. Look at San Francisco getting a couple extra ones. Do you think that that is something that is, that that, that benefit will help speed the process up?
5: I don't know, but I'm jealous. Of stuff. Like I was looking at San Francisco, I forgot about it. And then I remembered on the draft and I was like, man, that is really very cool that they're being rewarded for that. Um and, uh, you know, I don't know if that's going to be incentive enough at the higher levels with these teams. But, again, I think it does encourage the process of hiring and developing talent um, at those lower levels. You know, assistance, assistance to assistance. Uh, to me, the next step is really thinking about college and high school and and. Coach Lucas could talk about that as well tomorrow coming from, you know, she did some coaching at junior levels as well. But I think that's something that teams need to be looking at, and hopefully that's something they're going to be incentivized to do.
2: Spain and Fitz here, Spain. Jason Fitz talking to friend of the show, Mina Kimes, ESPN NFL analyst. Answer to a USA Today crossword puzzle clue, which I loved because it just said ESPN NFL analyst. It didn't say female. It didn't say woman. It just said analyst and uh what a what a tremendous moment for you as the crossword queen um love you love to see it uh what you don't love to see is all the conjecture around Aaron Rodgers and the confusion around exactly how long this has been building and why it was reported on draft day and everything else now you add Devonte Adams talking into it and Mina the way I see this is is one of two ways sort of obvious right this is a guy whose career has benefited greatly from being thrown passes by a future hall of famer it's the guy he knows so he's going to come out and say this You could also argue that Devontae Adams has had a pretty close-up look at Jordan Love running the scout team and is saying, hell no, I'm not sticking around if that guy gets thrust into action. Which is it more likely uh, to be, or both?
5: I think it's the former. um, You know, I think Devontae has obviously is close with Aaron, and he's just— seen um, how much playing with him has helped his own career and I think vice versa. And like, you know, I, I said this on NFL live today. I don't think the uncertainty around Aaron Rodgers' future is going to influence the likelihood that Devontae Adams signs a mega deal with green Bay. He's heading into last year's contract and the Packers also do have the uh, franchise tax. They can hold over him, but it seems like he kind of wants to make it clear where he stands. He's backing 12 because you know, there's so much, Right now, noise, or I guess smoke is maybe the better word, about what the problem is, who deserves blame, the team, whether Rodgers is being petty. And to me, you know, Adams coming out and talking about sort of disrespect and the club not doing what um, the quarterback wanted, that's the closest we've come to hearing from Rodgers himself. I will also say, Sarah, you said um, you do not love to see it. I think as a Bears fan, you do love to see it. So I'm going to push back a little bit I on that. I love uh, to
2: see the Green Bay Packers yeah. in distress. But as I've mentioned before, sheepishly, Aaron Rodgers is my favorite player. Of course, not anymore because now Justin Fields is. And mm. so I don't like to see him embroiled in this and his good name slandered.
5: Okay. I don't know about that, but I <laughs> believe you.
1: But let me let me just be, you know, this is rare for me, but let me, let me be cynical for a second, Mina. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like we spent last summer every single day talking about Dax contract and why the, the, the Cowboys would never get it worked out. And they got it worked out. Then it was Russ doesn't want to be with the Seahawks. He's going away. He's going to force it. Now I feel like we're here again with Aaron Rodgers. We keep buying into this hype, but we don't actually see change. I mean, when you look at it at the end yeah. of the day, who's going to be the starting quarterback at the beginning of the season in your mind for Green Bay?
5: I think I would say more likely than not Rodgers, but I'm not – You know, if you'd asked me about Russ, I said there's no chance, not because I'm a homer, but I guess I am a little bit, but because uh, it didn't make sense for the team, and the player also never suggested he was willing to hold out. There was never any, like, ill-feeling feelings um, to the extent of what we're hearing from Green Bay, and I think it's why it took some people by surprise. On top of that, Aaron Rodgers is um, a different kind of person, frankly. I mean, he has strong convictions. I think he does not, I don't, I I believe he'd be willing to walk away. I think he's accomplished a lot in his career. He's older. He's made a lot of money and that colors his conversation as well, because ultimately the only leverage he has over the Packers is not playing football and very few, we, we talk about player empowerment, but the reality is very few players are actually willing to hold out uh, Aaron Rodgers might be one of them.
2: Yeah, and Mina, Mina Kimes with us here, ESPN NFL analyst on Spain and Fitz. One of the very rare occasions that we talked up and where I said some absurd thing like I'll give everyone my house and car and my full salary if Deshaun Watson is still on the Texans. That example now being twisted by the weirdest of circumstances, but that was the one where we said, okay, he's a unicorn and he's young enough and he's talented enough and the team is enough in distress that this will happen. It's much less likely to see that happen with a guy like Aaron Rodgers, but um, I'm not making those declarative statements anymore after what we've seen go down (laughs) with the Texans of late. Hey, before we let you go, I want to ask you about your Brooklyn Nets. Uh, We know that you have jumped very, very, very uh, confidently onto the bandwagon for this team. And a lot of experts in the NBA are still saying they can't imagine a team with that much offensive talent losing in in a postseason series. What's your actual take on that? Because we do know that no team has ever finished 25th or worse in either side of the ball, offensive or defensive rating, and still managed to win a title. So defensively, how does that work in a series against another really talented team?
5: You outscore them. I mean, I would counter by saying we've never seen a team like the Brooklyn Mets where not only is it this kind of, you know, super team amassing of players, which is something we've seen in the NBA for, although you could argue not to this extent, um, but also they haven't played together, and that colors the statistics. Um, what sort of has happened with this organization? They've only played the three, the big three in Brooklyn, Harden, uh, Durant, and Kyrie have only played 186 minutes together. Um, when Harden did arrive, I know people laugh when I say this, but he really did improve their defense, uh, which took it from being atrocious to being mildly, merely bad. Um, but because the offense is so turbocharged, the defense doesn't have to be good, frankly. Um, so I do think they have a strong shot regardless of how good their defense is. I would counter by saying, you know, to check my own newfound homerism for a moment, uh, the lack of Playing time while contributing also to the bad stats is also going to be a massive issue in the playoffs. Cause who <laughs> the heck knows if they can overcome it. But, man, it is not something we've seen before. And, you know, I, 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 I'm st- I still believe. I'll just say that, Sarah. I still believe. That's she what still I say
1: believes. every single Sunday morning during football season. Mina, welcome <laughs> to my world. Follow her on Twitter, at Mina Kimes. Watch her every day on NFL Live. As always, we appreciate you, my friend. Have a great night. Thanks for coming on with us.
2: Thanks, Mina. Bye, guys.
1: Nobody does it better. ESPN NFL analyst Mina Kimes. All right, coming up, some sad news regarding a former Heisman Trophy finalist. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
1: Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app series, XM Channel 80. I was just listening to see where that song was going. I'm just going to be honest. Yeah. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, I have no idea what that was. I mean, usually I know what our music is. I have no idea what that was, Sarah. Did did I miss something, like, really cool or hip?
2: I... I'm not positive. I think it was a sly in the family stone joint.
1: Correct. Wow. right? I did not know that. Okay. You're the musician, right? Right. Uh, no. hey, you know, there's uh, everybody's going to have holes, right? Like you can't listen so to true. all of it. So there we go. I, I had no idea. Um, so we do want to make sure we acknowledge uh, some sad news in uh, the sports world as Colt Brennan. Uh, you may remember him as the record setting quarterback of the University of Hawaii. Uh, passed away and that's according to his father he was 37 years old so uh, Terry Brennan Colt's father told ESPN that his son died early Tuesday morning at a hospital in Newport Beach California the day before paramedics were called to a hotel room where Colt had been with other people his son has ingested had ingested something laced with fentanyl and never regained consciousness so uh, mm. a really sad uh, moment for the Brennan family and obviously a lot of uh, a lot of fans remember his brief time in the NFL, but it, particularly his record-setting career at University of Hawaii was an incredible uh, thing to watch and a really sad moment for everybody.
2: It is, and it's particularly sad because I remember having heard about the car accident that he was in a number of years ago, um, but hadn't heard much other than there were injuries, etc. and the way it was described in one of the stories was he described it as cracking down the side of his body and that he was never the same afterwards, and it sounds like family and friends say that that accident and what came after uh, likely led to issues with alcohol and abuses of substances and sort of a, a, a swirling decline. And you just, you hate to see someone so young and someone who had such talent and the way they talk about his popularity in Hawaii. I mean, they said it was like tiger woods in his prime when he was around uh, lines out the door, people going nuts. And um, you know, there's a, HBO documentary that I, I, I don't think is quite out yet, but I keep seeing the ads for it before John Oliver, and I really want to watch it about the opioid industry and essentially the murders of Americans happening in front of us being disguised as uh, medicine, being disguised as, as capitalism. And, you know, it's it's really sad when, when we see people lost to um, to addiction. It's, it's heartbreaking.
1: Well, and, and as the article on ESPN.com points out, only hours before his death, he had tried to enter a detox program in an area mm. hospital, but was turned away because there were no beds available. It's mm. uh, a really painful moment, but also uh, an important moment for anybody that knows anybody d- dealing with addiction issues to remember that something like that can really be the moment that sends somebody over the edge. So. Uh, just a reminder to everybody to check in on the people in your life that you know have issues because they need help. And uh, obviously Mm -hmm. Colt knew he needed help and wasn't able to get that. And then it has a sad and tragic ending for him and for everybody in his family and for everybody that's ever watched him play. It's a sad, sad day. Uh, So our heart goes out to him. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, Earlier, no easy way to transition into anything fun after that. Uh, But I did want to go back to something, Sarah, that we talked about earlier. And it's, you know, the relocation concept coming out of Oakland as it's been reported that Major League Baseball wants the A's to look at other cities and you know these are such difficult times for fans to figure out how to feel through any of it because uh, as much as Vegas according to Jeff Passan uh, and others seems to be the front runner there are multiple cities that will bid on a on a stadium or bid on a professional sports team to come to their their city it means a lot and baseball means a lot of revenue that's a lot of days that people will come into a stadium so it's such a tricky situation to be in when you're dealing with, as we've talked about, every time these things come up, there will be a city somewhere that offers to pay for that stadium. So it becomes sort of a, an arms race that is impossible for municipalities that are struggling to keep up with.
2: Yeah, it's funny because it feels like a long time, a couple of years since we've had a big picture conversation about uh, what a fraud it is when cities convince taxpayers to pay stadiums for massively wealthy leagues, how it doesn't pan out in the way that they're promised, how it doesn't benefit the cities and the neighborhoods and the communities and the people who end up paying for them. It's been a little while. Either that or just hasn't touched uh, my circles of, of reference of late. But as the A's are doing this, we also see there's... Reports of the Chicago Bears are going to move out of the city of Chicago because of what they're demanding around their stadium. It's not going to happen. At least it's not going to happen in Chicago. The same way the Cubs weren't going to move to the suburbs and get rid of Wrigley Field. This is trying to use their influence and threats to get what they want. And in this case, yeah, they're threatening to relocate. They want the city to approve the new stadium, they want the help that they need. Um, Another angle on this, which is an interesting one, which I hadn't thought of until very recently, fits is conversations around women's sports and people ignoring how much of a buoying men's professional sports has gotten over the decades they took to grow by the amount of politicians and taxpayers funding their giant stadiums and helping them make all of this money while they often act as you know nonprofits or are outside of monopoly rules and all this other stuff. So it all comes together in ways that I think early on we've we kind of got duped a lot on and now most cities and communities are too wise to this to just be threatened into acquiescing and i think that's what's going to happen here
1: well it'll it's it's always difficult because again i'll look at the raiders as an example forbes just put out their annual sports franchise valuation list uh, about a week ago and the raiders are now the 29th most valuable team in all of the world in sports worth over three billion dollars which is a 117% increase in the last five years, which is largely, and then remember, that's with no fans in the stands last year. That's based on getting Nevada to build them a stadium that they've now sold a bunch of PSLs to. So, it's amazing how it skyrockets your value as a franchise. I'm not sure what it does for cities, but cities continue to make the same mistake year in and year out. I, I genuinely believe right. it's not just Vegas. Like I think Nashville, uh, which a, a community that desperately wants Major League Baseball, would gladly find a way to, to, to fund a stadium using a tourism tax if it meant that they could get a baseball team. It feels like they constantly go back to the same, uh, the same well, even though it seems like a, a weird decision for a city to make.
2: Right. And to your point, I I, I guess I shouldn't be so declarative about the decisions that the A's will make, because if they can find a city that is willing to dance and they can look at how much more money they can make there in the same way we've seen other teams do it, then then they'll do it. It's Spain and Fitz, by the way, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Um, You're right, Nashville or Vegas, and particularly because that market of Oakland is losing its teams. It is is struggling to provide what uh, the modern franchises want and and is not willing to play the game. And uh, to your point, it might be very beneficial for the A's to leave. To my point, it'll be interesting what city is willing to make the sacrifices that thus far, at least usually when they relocate within their own city, haven't paid off the way the promises uh, had assumed.
1: You're a thousand percent right. It's a nuanced conversation because every city now is going to try and do it. The the Raiders did what Vegas did, which is just a tourism tax. And it's not that simple, y'all. Like, There's a lot that goes into all of it. A lot goes into Freddie and Fitzsimmons. They'll be up next. Spain and Fitz, thanks so much for listening and hanging out with us.
0: Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.